What's up, y'all? I'm Monica McNutt, and you're listening to On The Board Sports. You can put it on the board. Yes. And welcome back to another edition of the On The Board Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Thomas, a.k.a. Shawnee on the mic. Happy Friday to all. Joined by my main man, the best co-host in the business, William Cerucci, a.k.a. We'll see Will. How you doing, pal? Hanging in. Can't complain. It's Friday, but, you know, we got to make the best out of a bad situation. But, Sean, we are joined. We have another special guest. This is unbelievable how many special guests we've had on over the course of this month. It's been absolutely awesome, to say the very least. But this man is famous and notorious. He's... You'll recognize his voice instantaneously. He has his own show on ESPN Radio. And joining us, he's a Brooklyn native, is the one and only Freddie Coleman. Freddie, thank you for coming on. We really appreciate you. How are you? I'm good, Sean and William. How are you guys doing today? We're hanging in. We're doing good. We're doing good. Freddie, man, before we start, how are you? How's the family? How's everyone doing doing this whole uh, COVID stuff, man? Well, everybody's safe, and as we like to say in the Coleman family, we do the best we can with what we got. And what my dad has always told me is you always have to be adaptable to your situations and make sure that no matter what, everything being taken care of and everybody being taken care of is going to be paramount. So we've been able to be safe. We've been able to follow the guidelines that when we've gone out in public, we make sure we take out, we don't take any chances by not wearing a mask, by not using hand sanitizer, and making sure that we're going to be as safe as we possibly can. And even other people around us don't want to be safe. We run away from them as fast as they can because we do not want what they potentially have and having that infecting us. Right, right. Absolutely. And especially during this time now, it's just absolutely crazy. Uh, Freddie, real, real quick here. How did you get started in radio? What made, what was the driving force behind you? And did you have any idols at all growing up doing this? Yeah, I was a radio head ever since I was a kid. But honestly, guys, I never thought in a million years that I would be doing radio and being a part of radio and having that as my vocation and having that, that I was trying to make a living out of it. Because back when I was growing up in New York, radio DJs were just out there in terms of the galaxy. I never thought that I would actually want to be on radio, thought I could even do what the Chuck Leonard's of the world did or the Frankie Crocker's of the world did or the Ken Spiderwebs of the world did and also Scott Muni and Carol Miller and people like that they weren't even on the same planet as far as I was concerned. I was on planet Earth, and they were somewhere in another galaxy where I heard their voices and heard their personalities and heard their stories. So I never thought in a million years that I would be doing what my heroes and heroines were able to do, where they got me got me through so many nights growing up as a kid and listening to radio. I'll never get the first sports talk radio show I ever heard was Art Rush Jr., who was a pioneer in our business that a lot of people don't talk about, and they really should when he had a nightly sports radio show in WABC would talk back in the 70s in New York City. I always wanted to be there, but I never thought at any given point in my life I'd be able to do something like that. And so I always get a kick out of it and a blast when I'm able to do and bless it five nights a week on ESPN Radio Nationally. That's great right That's awesome. there, Freddie, man. That's real great. Freddie, I'm a huge fan of your show, Freddie and Fitz. How did that show start, and how is it working with Fitz? Because Fitz is a great dude, and he's a funny dude too, man. Yeah, it's funny, because Ian Fitzsimmons was a guest on our show because he's based out of Dallas, and 
the powers that be thought that we could have great chemistry together. And they were spot on with that because anytime he would come on our show, he was always a terrific guest and we always had a great conversation. And plenty of us said, man, why doesn't Ian have a chance to be on national radio other than doing part-time, which was what he started doing at ESPN Radio. So one of my bosses came to me and said, what do you think about having Fitz as a partner? I said, I think that'd be a fantastic idea. And I think we really have something really special that we could be able to grow and grow and grow on a show-by-show basis. And here we are almost five years later, we've been able to continue to grow our show and accumulate every audience that we possibly can. But it's always a blast working with Ian because we play off each other so well, which we're similar in certain things, but different in other things. But it's always a conversation. It's never two guys just backbiting against each other and going nose to nose and head to head. At times, you can have a difference of opinion, and there's no doubt about that. We're not going to agree on things at the same time. But you don't have to act like children, immature people about it. And that's something that we don't do on Freddie and Fitzsimmons. That's awesome stuff right there, man. Absolutely awesome. Freddie, I got to ask you this. Growing up in New York, you're a Mets fan. What was it like growing up during that point in time when the Mets are going out there and winning the World Series in 86 for you? Just basically just seeing everything happening. And now with your fandom, with being, being a Mets fan now, uh, what, can you, what can you say about that? It's funny because the first taste of me being a New York Mets fan was back in 1973 when I was seven years of age and they made the World Series because I was too young when they had the Miracle Mets back in 1969. I'd only heard mm-hmm. stories about that. But it was really cool to experience that and have that kind of recollection that was going to stay in my mind because one of the first baseball games I ever went to was game five of the NLCS against the Cincinnati Reds. My dad took me out of school to see that game against Pete Rose and the Big Red Machine. And the Mets wound up winning that series in five games. And that's when my Met fandom really went on to a different level. And even though they lost the World Series in 1973 against the Oakland Athletics, that didn't change. That didn't diminish me being a New York Mets fan. So being in college and having the Mets win a championship finally for the first time since 1969, the way they were able to do it, being down three games to two, to lose the first two games at home in the World Series, and what happened in game six and game seven, even though I know that's a Yankees town, there's absolutely no doubt about that. It's always <laughs> going to be a Yankees town in New York. I firmly understand exactly where our lane is going to be. But my fandom for the Mets have dissipated. Believe me, I wanted to strangle that organization more than a couple of times for breaking my heart. Because <laughs> I'm never going to stop being a Mets fan, no matter how much they just bring me through the, the, the shard glass and also the muck and mire to continue to be a Mets fan. Freddie, I am a long-suffering Mets fan just like you. So I've been through it all, man. I've been through it all. Speaking of Major League Baseball, Freddie, I was listening to your show the other day, and you had a take saying that you don't think they'd be able to play in 80 games, that they can maybe get get a solid uh, 60 games in. How optimistic are you that that they can be able to get 60 games, 70 games, and 80 games? Well, I don't, I don't know about optimistic. I think I'm more cautious than ever before, and especially when it seems that this salary thing, 50-50 revenue split, does not seem that's going to dissipate anytime soon. And if you're Major League Baseball, it may be late May right now, but July 1st, July 4th is going to hit here pretty quickly. And are you going to put your sport in a situation where the too much time is going to elapse, and all of a sudden you're going to play winter baseball? That's not going to be good baseball at all. You're not doing yourself any favors. You're not doing your sport any favors. And I thought it was interesting what Ken Rosenthal, Fox Sports, had to say. He said, Major League Baseball can't afford that 18 months of not having a sport. You're going to completely, completely send your sport back at least five to 10 years. 
in terms of young fans, in terms of attention, in terms of attention. And also, if you're Major League Baseball, when it seems like you're on a little bit of an upswing, why do you want to take three or four steps back? Because you, as a Major League Baseball, as an organization and the Players Association, cannot agree on some kind of some type of compensation to make sure a league is going to get played and a league is not going to miss out on a year. So I still don't believe. They say they can get 82 games in. I'm not buying that. I think the most they'll get in will be 70 games, and then they'll have a full postseason. And I still wonder about that because how much time are you going to allow these players to have to really get in shape, have right. to thing, be around a place with no fans, and think that's going to be quality baseball? There's still way too many answers out there that baseball has to answer the question. And right now we don't see those answers anywhere, in my opinion, in Major League Baseball getting back on the field. Right. What what timetable do you see baseball coming back if 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 it does happen? You know, July fourth would July fourth be a date for you? What 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 would be the date in Freddie Coleman's mind? I guess if they don't have baseball by July fifteenth, then I don't think they're going to have a season because at that point, what you're having is a college baseball season, and how's that going to be worthy when <laughs> right. it comes to Major League Baseball and their players? So if we don't have any kind of plan in place by about June eighth, maybe June fifteenth then Major League Baseball and also the fans of Major League Baseball, like myself, are really going to be worried if there's going to be a season. If we don't hear anything by the middle of June, then there's no way they're going to be able to start this season July 1st or July 4th. Then you may have to think about starting in the middle of July and maybe the beginning of August. And at that point, now you're in a time-constrained situation if you're Major League Baseball. So if they're going to get this going, if they're going to have a season, they better get their heads out of their you-know-what and come together <laughs> and find some common ground to make sure we're not going to have a lost baseball season in 2020. That's very, very true there. Freddie, as we saw over the past five weeks, the MJ doc, the last dance, everybody is giving up, is giving it uh, the two thumbs up, uh, one thumbs up. But we're starting to see now um, uh, Grant is starting to say some things and Scotty isn't too thrilled with some of the things. What was your overall take on what we saw over the past uh, five weeks? Well, I don't know why anybody's surprised that Michael Jordan told the story the way he was going to tell it because he was the one that allowed the access to make sure the last dance was going to be possible over a 10-episode arc. So, And I get if you're Scotty Pippen that there were things that happened with you that you believe you weren't portrayed in the best light. But you know if you're Scotty Pippen, you were the one that decided not to play in the 1.8 seconds, the final 1.8 seconds in that game three playoff game against the New York Knicks back in 1994. You were the one that decided to sign that contract for seven years and $18 million. Don't get on Michael Jordan in the last dance and that whole docu-series for putting the truth out there that everybody already knew. And I get if you're Horace Grant. Nobody wants to be called a snitch. And believe me, I thought Horace Grant played his response perfectly. He didn't do it during the last dance. He went until the last dance was over, and even a day after the last dance, meaning on a Tuesday instead of a Monday, because we don't have a last dance episode 11 and episode 12 coming up this weekend. And also, Michael Jordan is not going to clap back at him because Michael Jordan is done talk. So he played that perfectly, saying, you know what, I was portrayed wrong in terms of being a snitch. And yeah, Michael Jordan and I, we would have had to move some furniture around if things really got heated. But that's what a docuseries, a compelling docuseries, is supposed to do. Everybody's not going to be on board with what Michael Jordan had to say. I would be stunned if that happened. But the fact there was so much discussion about it, especially with no live sports being out there, Sean, that's why I don't give it a two thumbs up. I give it three thumbs up because it did what it was supposed to do. It brought Michael Jordan into a different light. We saw Michael Jordan that we never thought we would ever see inside right. and outside the NBA. Other compelling characters 
bad or good, were able to be a part of that Last Dance docuseries. So there was no downside to that if you are a viewer, whether you are a Michael Jordan fan or not, or a hardcore basketball fan or not. true. Very, very true right there, Freddie. And you you were right there just about in that, you know, just watching the games and just seeing it all. Did it bring back any memories for you? William, it brought back great memories. Even though as a Knicks fan, I should be morally opposed to giving Michael Jordan <laughs> the Chicago Bulls any kind of love because they throw it to my path because you ain't led New York Knicks teams during that time. But I've right. never been a person that's going to diminish greatness because when you have greatness as a player, greatness as a team, even if it's against your team, you should really embrace that. That's why I've never had that kind of anti-love for Tom Brady. I would never say, man, how dare he? That's 20 years of being one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback in the history of the National Football League. Even though he's tortured my team, the New York Jets, so what? I always want to appreciate greatness. So I appreciate the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls team. I appreciate the Los Angeles Lakers team at the beginning of the 2000s. I appreciate the Dallas Cowboys teams when they won three championships in four years because you never see greatness coming, especially in a dynasty kind of format. But when it happens, even if your team is the victim of it, you should really appreciate that. So a lot of that going back in time and seeing how Charles Smith got blocked three times in the space of three, four, three to four seconds in game five of the Eastern Conference Finals back in 1993, what the Chicago Bulls were able to do with so many great players did not get a chance to win in the ring because of that team. I embrace that greatness and appreciate that greatness, no matter how much I was suffering as a New York Knicks fan when the Chicago Bulls were doing their thing. That was very, very true to you, Freddie. Freddie, speaking of Tom, well, Will is also a fan of the NYJETS, the Jets, 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 but I know that both of you guys are thrilled that Tom has finally, finally left and gone down to uh, 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 Tampa Bay. Uh, Freddie, what's your take on the fit of of him and Bruce and how those two guys and the team is going to work out? Well, Tom Brady can fit anywhere. You give him any kind of offense and allow him to have some input, you're going to have a terrific offense. And they have the kind of weapons down there, not just Rob Gronkowski being part of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but they got Michael Evans who can do some things. They got Chris Godwin who can do some things. They got one of the better play callers in the last 10 to 15 years in the National Football League and Bruce Arians. But the one thing that Tom Brady has given Tampa Bay that they've never had in the history of that organization is a team that people want to see play on TV. Even during their Super Bowl years, nobody wanted to see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers play on TV. They weren't that team that was going to be top of the mind awareness for plenty of people. And you can clearly tell the effect that he's had regarding NFL fans because nine out of the top ten jerseys are Florida teams. Four of the top jerseys are Tom Brady in different uniforms of Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I can't remember that happening in the oh. history of paraphernalia when it comes to the National Football League. So Tom Brady seems to be the kind of water quarterback. What I mean by that is he's going to be able to meld and mold himself and fit no matter what kind of situation is going to be there. So with all the success he had dealing with the Patriot way and Bill Belichick and winning six championships and making nine Super Bowls, he's not just going to fall apart or fall by the wayside just because he's with a new football team. If anything, this not only gives him a different kind of energy, maybe even a better energy to continue, but also more motivation to show people the reason the Patriots won was because Bill Belichick needed me to make this work more than I needed Bill Belichick putting that Patriot way in place. So I can't wait to see exactly how that's going to come about with him in Tampa Bay, giving him that kind of energy, giving that kind of cachet, and being together with Bruce Aarons in the offense. I believe it's going to be really, really good in Tampa Bay. 
Now, the opposite end of that is the New England factor right now. Still in the AFC East, and they still have to deal with Buffalo, who might be a division favorite. Miami's a rebuilding team, but they, they could still go out there and surprise people after the draft that they had and the offseason that they had, adding expatriates with Brian Flores, expatriate. And then you have our Jets, okay? I'm a diehard Jet fan. I, you, you know how it is with the losing, okay? Year in and year out with this team. But realistically, to talk about New England right now, uh, what do you see Bill Belichick and company doing here? Does Jared Stenham become the, you know, the, the face of you know, quarterbacks in New England? What, what, what's your take on that? Sleep on the Patriots at your own peril because anytime that people disrespected the Patriots, they always seem to rear the ugly head and not just surprise people, really put it in their faces. Because you know Bill Belichick, but Tom Brady is the most motivated player to show people that he was the reason or the main reason why the Patriots had that success. You know Bill Belichick wants to show everybody that the Patriot way is better than any player or bigger than any player. So I would never, ever count on a Patriots team, no matter who's playing there, as long as they got that guy being the head coach of Bill Belichick and having, having the kind of and having the kind of expertise that he'll bring to the table. Yeah, Buffalo should be a prohibitive favorite going into the division this year. There's no doubt about that. The Jets should be better for finding they work things out with Jamal Adams. You have to hope that that black cloud does not carry over. They're not able to trade him or if he doesn't get that new contract. And the Miami Dolphins made a lot of great – they made a lot of great moves in the draft and free agency, and they were playing really well down the stretch. But that team outside of Boston, I do not sleep on that football team. I have seen time and time again where Bill Belichick has made a lot of people look like fools when they think that the Patriots dynasty was at its end or the Patriots were not as good as people making them out to be. That's a team that you never, ever take for granted because a team way too many times, they made people look really, really stupid by doing that and having that kind of mindset with the Patriots. Guys, stick with – guys, stick – sorry, Sean. Guys, stick with the Jets here for a second. You mentioned Jamal Adams, the contract and pass, everything like that going on. I. Uh, what what what's going on as far as you know what in your mind what with Jamal Adams and just basically the whole contract situation? Well, when you have a coach in Adam Gase, we know that he's going to be a quarterback guy, and Sam Donald's going to be treated better than anybody else. That goes that goes for any NFL team. But you have a guy Jamal Adams that has balled out for your football team ever since they drafted a guy that wants to be a part of this organization. And I get it; it is business. You want to make sure that. A contract is going to be equitable for both sides. But why would you want to alienate or potentially alienate a guy like that that has been really terrific for your franchise? Yeah, he's had some moments where he's had some immaturity. The guy's not 30 years of age. Those things are going to happen. But it's not something that should keep you from saying that's a guy that we want long term. To me, this is not a Joe Douglas situation with GM. To me, this is an Adam Gates situation. This is Adam Gates saying, I'm not going to let Jamal Adams believe he's that important. Hey, Adam Gates. He is that important. You've got a guy that made a Pro Bowl that has played at a Pro Bowl level ever since he's been in the National Football League. Why do you want to have that guy feel that he's not appreciated or deserves to be appreciated for what he's done for your football team on and off the football field where he's represented the New York Jets in a great fashion? So this yardstick measuring contest, it never, ever ends well for the organization that allows a player like that, still in his prime and not close to his prime, to go somewhere else. And if a team is out there thinking, man, the Jets don't want him, We'll pony up for a guy like that because he's going to make our team better. You have a chance to keep that guy and keep your team and improve that team, but yet you're going to potentially alienate him because of a contract impasse. There has to be a better way to have contract negotiations if you're Adam Gates in the New York Jets because this is not the way to go about it, in my opinion, where you're going to be on opposite sides anyway. 
but it shouldn't be that kind of adversarial mentality going on between the Jets and Jamal Adams, their safety. Well said, Freddie. Well, well said. Freddie, to stick on the National uh, Football League, Dak Prescott, rumors are that he turned down five years, 175 million bucks. There's people that think he's worth that much. There's people that are crazy to think that he wants that much. How do you see that situation playing now? Because it seems like Dak is willing to play hardball until this thing um, goes the full length. They're going to work it out because the Cowboys know that Dak doesn't want to go anywhere. Dak knows he doesn't want to go anywhere. And the Cowboys know that Dak knows that. So they're going to work this out. Even if he signs a franchise tag, that means he makes $31 million. I think Dak Prescott can find a way to go to the grocery store and be okay by having <laughs> only $31 million being made for a one-year period. So they're going to work this out. And whatever rumors are out there about what Dak wants, Dak has seen what has happened with Carson Wentz of Philadelphia, with Aaron Rodgers of Green Bay, with Jared Goff of the Rams. All those guys got four-year deals and guaranteed contracts for at least $98 million. You have Russell Wilson, same category. He had a four-year deal, $140-plus million, $108 million of that in guaranteed money. That's why he just wants the four years because he's believing that money is going to be there for a contract situation. I'm going to get the most guaranteed money out of that. And then by the fifth year, if the salary cap is a little bit better and I play the way I believe I'm going to play, then guess what my price tag is going to be? This deal works a lot better in terms of the Dallas Cowboys than not having signed a one-year franchise tender. Because what if he goes out there $31 million and he leads your team to a Super Bowl? Then you're really going to have to pay Dak Prescott a lot of money to make right. sure that that's going to work. So if you're the Dallas Cowboys and Dak Prescott, they're doing the right things. The Cowboys keep putting their name in the paper. Dak Prescott has let his people handle it. When it's all said and done, both of these two will find a way to make this work. And this way, all these rumors that were out there are going to be a thing of the past. Very, very interesting right there, especially with this whole, you know, Andy Dalton going over there and having to, you know, deal with the start, probably possibly having to deal with the starting spot. You're almost like, you know, with our, I hate to keep on bringing up the Jets again, but almost like Sanchez and Tim Tebow uh, back in 2012. But that's, well, that's whether here nor there. Uh, Moving on now and switching gears from the NFL back over to the NBA again and you know, we look at everything right now. You mentioned the MLB. We talked about the 30 for 30 doc with MJ. Uh, basketball right now is, you know, you keep on hearing all these crazy stories right now that June 21st, the league may be coming back and or even July 15th, whatever it is, whatever date it is, there's been talk that basketball is coming back. Uh, Freddie, what's your take on that? I probably completely agree with that. It would not surprise me, William, if they play in Orlando, Florida, because the NBA knows nobody is going to quibble if we have NBA playoff games in August and close to September. No one's going to look at that and say, gee, you guys are playing too late. I don't know about that. Nobody's <laughs> going to have an issue if the NBA decides to do that. And I read a report today that Adam Silver wants each playoff series to be a seven-game series, even though they have not had enough time to do that. And I don't think any player is going to complain about that because you get a chance to A, get more playoff money, and B, have a better chance to advance, even though it's going to be a sprint to the finish when it comes to the end of the regular season if you do that, and then the playoffs right after that. So the NBA, they have really done a, a great job not only being cautious, but also being aware of the big picture. They know their players want to be out there. And the players are now starting to come on board that they're not going to be fans of games and they're going to have to be okay with it. The one thing players don't want to miss is any more money. The NBA and the Players Association have been really good coming together to make sure that salaries will still be paid 
not just with NBA players, but for other employees of NBA teams and even players that had a hand in that as well. So by being lockstep with each other, that's why I believe the NBA is going to be back because no one is going to complain if we get playoff NBA basketball in July, potentially August. Plenty of people would sign up for that, especially if college football is going to be delayed. We don't know what the NFL season is going to look like, and especially if we don't have any Major League Baseball by that point, not if, but when the NBA comes back. Very, very true there. Freddie, so in watching the MJ doc, the more I watched it, the more I said, everybody's trying to compare Jordan to LeBron. The more I watch it, I'm like, why aren't people comparing Jordan to Kobe? Do you think that the fairer comparison would be Jordan to Kobe or Jordan to LeBron James? I think the fairer comparison is don't compare those three guys at all because I get it. Jordan is Jordan is that son and everybody else since he played. They've been the planets around the sun. They've been the planets circling the sun. So everything, his glow feeds everybody else. Where LeBron wanted to be like him, Kobe wanted to be like him. That line is long with so many players that right. were influenced by Michael Jordan. And when you think about it, it's definitely not fair to LeBron James because he's never going to win that comparison. It's definitely not <laughs> fair to Kobe Bryant because Kobe Bryant, Sean, is never going to win that comparison. <laughs> right. but I think it also is unfair to the legacy of Michael Jordan because we keep always, every time somebody is great, you keep trying to find the second this or the third that. How about Michael Jordan was not the second anybody. They tried to make me the second Dr. J before they had to get rid of that whole conversation regarding him. LeBron is the first LeBron. Kobe is the first Kobe. Michael right. Jordan was the first Michael Jordan. And so I get it. it. It's hot take land and people want to do that and get people riled up. And I've never been a part of that slave to the moment mentality when it comes to who do you think is better. I really don't care because you're comparing athletes from different eras and trying to make that work just to fulfill your argument or your agenda, whatever that is. But it's not fair to LeBron to have these kind of comparisons. It's not fair to Kobe to have these kind of comparisons. And it's definitely not fair to Michael Jordan because those guys were influenced by him. Of course, they're going to take bits and pieces what he was able to do because that's the guy they watched him wanted to be like. But to say that who's better and who's this and who's that, how about just accept the greatness of what it was back then with Michael Jordan, or what it was then with the late Kobe Bryant, and what it still is now with LeBron James, who even at his age is one of the two best, two, two or three best players in the NBA. Very true. Very, very true right there. S sticking with the NBA, just to get back to the playoff format here with, with basketball, everybody knows that the Lakers and the Clippers are the favorites coming out of the, out of the West, and the East is wide open. But now, with this whole COVID-19 situation happening, it's more than wide open than it has ever been before. Who, who would be a quintessential favorite, or if there could be like an upset of Bruin in that case for you, Freddie? Who, who might, who would, what team might that be? Yes, I still place my faith in the Los Angeles Clippers because they have the coach, they have the defense, they have the players, they have the mentality. I still would place them, even though the Lakers had a better record in the regular season before everything got stopped, I still place them. But two teams I really look at that could really upset things, number one, the Dallas Mavericks, because they got a guy in Luka Doncic that if he's not a top five, top ten player, then people have not been paying attention. He's not only been better individually, but he's made that team better. This team was 40 and 27 before everything shut down with the NBA. That's a team in Dallas that could be a real pain in the you-know-what to anybody out there in the Western Conference that thinks they can have a deep playoff run and you got to run into that basketball team out of the first or second round. So that's one team in the West that I look at and say, man, keep an eye on that team. A team in the East I'm keeping an eye on, the Toronto Raptors. 
I know they don't have Kawhi Leonard. But boy, oh boy, they're making a lot of people look foolish thinking that this team is going to be an eighth seed or a seventh seed. They have really been the kind of basketball team that looks at everybody and they said, remember, we were good before he got here. We were a top team in the East before Kawhi Leonard got here. And yeah, he made us a better basketball team and a championship basketball team. But they haven't exactly gone into the weeds ever since Kawhi Leonard decided to go to the Los Angeles Clippers. That's the kind of team that, in my opinion, even compared to Milwaukee or Philadelphia, has more motivation than anybody in the East because they want to show people you guys keep forgetting that we were close to 60 win team a couple of times, a couple of years with 20 cases that coach before Kawhi Leonard joined up and made us a championship basketball team. So those two teams could be a real, real, real threat that nobody's thinking about. When you got Dallas on one side and the West with Luka Doncic and Toronto Raptors in the East with motivation to show people they can be as good, if not better, without Kawhi Leonard in the Eastern Conference. That's a good take, Freddie. That's a good take. Freddie, I hate to do this to you, but I have to do it. We got to talk about your beloved Knicks. <laughs> Are they still <laughs> beloved? <laughs> Freddie, Freddie, what is it going to take to get the Knicks back to where they once were? Because it seems like they've swung and missed so many times. What in what in your mind is it going to take for the Knicks to get back to those uh, 90s Knicks and just the uh, great, great days of that team? Well, three things. One, prayer. Two, holy water. And three, a time machine. That's the only <laughs> way you're going to have that happen with the New York Knicks. And I want to believe that they finally have been able to get sort of the train back on the track and going into the right direction. I like to hire Scott Perry as a, as a general manager. He's still going to stay on board. And I completely understand you bring in the former agent that has a lot of cachet with players. But it comes down to that if you're the New York Knicks, you got to do a better job of making decisions. I like the draft towards R.J. Brad. I think he's going to be a really good player. But what kind of coach are you going to bring in that's going to make those players better? Are you going to go with a retread guy in Tom Thibodeau who has burned out players and he can be too tough on younger players, even though he's had success when he did with the Chicago Bulls and at times the Minnesota Timberwolves? You find a young, hot assistant with part of a staff with somebody else and build that way. That's the kind of decision I want to see the New York Knicks are going to make because they have pieces that they can build around and if you draft properly and make the right kind of free agent moves, then you're building something with the New York Knicks. But you got to have the right guy as your head coach. Is that guy Mark Jackson, a guy who I know would love to be the head coach of the New York Knicks? I think he would be perfect for younger players. We saw what he do with Golden State making Steph Curry and Clay Thompson better along with Draymond Green drafting him before Steve Kerr came along and really took the Golden State Warriors to another level. So that's the most important decision that the New York Knicks are going to have to make. It's not so much about players. It's about finding the right coach who can coach them up better and then having the right kind of people that can be great player evaluators. All great organizations have those guys or those women that know how to spot talent and know how to find the right fit for players. Look at Toronto Raptors. They are the model for that because Pascal Siakam, nobody was talking about him. They believed in Kyle Lowry. They kept him. They traded for Marcus Gasol. They've been really, really terrific at finding players that nobody thinks about and turning those players into stars when they get around their coaching staff. That's what the New York Knicks have to do. Whoever's going to be your guy, make sure you have the right talent evaluators around that person. This way you can finally not have a stop and start, stop and start, stop and start but you think you have something and then something else happens that retards the progress that you're trying to make. Freddie, and that's a good point because, and, Tor and Toronto is the perfect team. Nobody knew who in the world Fred Van Fleet was. Right. Now Fred Van Fleet 
is hitting some big time threes in game six to win them that ring. So that's a, a very, very good, good point. Well, Freddie, earlier today we found out the passing of the great head coach, Jerry Sloan, one of the all time great coaches in NBA history. You know, he played for the Bulls, went coach with the Bulls before he got to the Jazz, and he wound up coaching with the Jazz for almost nearly 30 seasons and being, you know, not only making the Jazz back-to-back finals uh, appearances, but making it to the playoffs about, what, 15, 16 years in a row in the NBA, kind of a hard thing to do. What are your thoughts on Jerry Sloan passing, and where do you rank him as, like, one of your top coaches in NBA history? Well, to me, Jerry Sloan is definitely a top 10 coach in the history of the NBA. And, Will, to your point about being underappreciated, because if had he won an NBA championship, I can't even imagine what people would think about him. And I think in terms of a strategist, in terms of a guy that got his teams to play hard all the time, look how much better he made the Carl Malones of the world, the John Stocktons of the world, where you had those two guys, but they were so good at creating that kind of culture that made the Utah Jazz a very difficult team to play which didn't surprise me because I remember seeing Jerry Sloan play when I was a kid and he played for the Chicago Bulls in that backcourt, Norm Van Leer. Remember they had 40 minutes of hell with Arkansas when Nolan Richards took over that team? When you played the Bulls and you had to play those two dudes in the backcourt, that was 48 minutes of hell in the NBA (laughs) because those two guys did not back down. You had Jerry Sloan on one side and Storm and Norman Van Leer, his backcourt mate on the other side. They were just in the wrong era because that's when Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was with the Los Angeles Lakers, so you had to deal with that team all the time. They had the Golden State Warriors with Rick Barry. They won an NBA championship. You had the Seattle Supersonic where they had Gus Johnson, John Johnson, downtown Freddie Brown, Jack Sipke, and those guys. But those teams in Chicago, they were playing in the Western Conference where they moved to the Eastern Conference late in the 70s. They had two terrific backcourt players. They had Chet Walker, an underrated power forward. They had Butterbean Bob Love, who was like one of the original small forward kind of scorers. They were just born at the wrong time. But anytime you played that basketball team led by Jerry Sloan, they were going to give you 48 minutes of hell whether you wanted it or not. And that's exactly the kind of team that he coached with the Utah Jazz. You may beat them, but they were going to take years off your life when you had to play somebody else or you beat them in a series. So that's when I'm always going to have that great memory. And that's always going to make me smile when it comes to Jerry Sloan. He never left something that he said to himself, man, I didn't leave it out on the floor as a player or as a coach. And that's all you can ask of anybody, even if you don't get it. You always got that from a guy like Jerry Sloan. That's well said, Freddie. Well said. Very well said. Freddie, May is such a great sports month. You have the you have the playoffs in the NBA, the NHL, and baseball is going, so on and so forth. Is it difficult when you go into work and you're doing your show to not have the normal things? to talk about at this time of the year? Like, is it kind of pulling here, trying to find things to actually uh, speak about when you don't have the normal stuff that is supposed to be going on? Well, Sean, it sucks like a vacuum cleaner, to be completely honest with you, because normally around this time, we're talking about the Stanley Cup and the great run to in the NHL playoffs or the NBA playoffs going on, a Major League Baseball getting started, or even thinking about we didn't have a Kentucky Derby this year. The right. We raced before the Kentucky Derby. MLS would be getting started. The WNBA would get would be getting started. There would always be, always be so many things that you had discussions. But the one thing that we've been able to never forget is that people want to hear about storylines. And think about the storylines that we've had since COVID-19. You had Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay. That was a storyline. You had Rob Gronkowski coming out of retirement to join him in Tampa Bay. You had the last dance with Michael Jordan. 
you had college basketball and college football being affected in terms of what's going to happen in terms of this pandemic affecting financial financial baselines when it comes to athletic programs, how many sport, sports are going to be cut. You mentioned right. the last dance. We had that plenty of that conversation where for me, a lot of people who heard about the fuss by Michael Jordan had a chance to see that firsthand if they weren't alive like I was to experience that firsthand. So that was pretty cool from that standpoint. So there have always been storylines that we were always going to able and find any way to supplement the live action that was going on. But now they've become front and center. So if anything, our creative process is always pretty good. Right. I believe they've gotten even better because it, it better be better. You can't just rely on <laughs> fan reaction on Twitter or phone calls. You're going to have a very, very long show in a short amount of time if you're able to do that. But, for example, the Vanderbilt University hiring the first black athletic yes. director as a female with Candace Story Lee. We had her on last night. And her story's fantastic about growing up in Madison, Alabama, and being where she is right now, the school that she played for four years in basketball. So right. the storylines are always out there. I think plenty of storylines that usually get lost because of live action have come to the forefront. And we've done, I thought we, I think we've done a pretty good job finding those stories and letting everybody else know about those stories. That's interesting right there, Freddie. And you mentioned the Stanley Cup playoffs earlier in, in what you were saying. Uh, what's your take on the NHL coming back if, if there is a season and, you know, with the 2014 playoff, uh, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, they're going to have it. And because Gary Bettman, and I hate to give Gary Bettman credit because at times I think he's been terrible for the National Hockey League <laughs> as a commissioner. But even though we have not heard anything from the NHL, that doesn't mean they were idle. That does not mean they didn't have any thought processes. And when I saw that about a 2014 playoff, I said, oh, that would make a lot of sense if you can find one or two locations to make sure that's going to work. So if you, I have to give the NHL a lot of credit. It could have been very easy for them to say, forget it. We're not going to do it. They said, you know what? We're not going to give up on this. We're just not going to be vocal about it. We're not going to be what the NBA has been or Major League Baseball, the National Football League. We're going to go about our things, our way to make sure that we're going to have a season and make sure that we don't take away the Stanley Cup chase away from our fans, even though it's become more of a niche sport than ever before. And I also wonder how much a lot of people are emboldened by what NASCAR has been able to do in the last five to six days. Because we've seen NASCAR have compelling storylines, compelling races with no fans in their buildings, especially in Darlington where the first two races have been held. So I wonder how much the NHL was emboldened to say, well, our sport moves 100 miles an hour too. It's just <laughs> on skates, we have a lot of action. So if they were able to do that with racing and no fans and the racing was still terrific, we can have the same thing, even without the energy and electricity of the fans not being in arena. So I think the NHL has done a really good job being silent, but also looking at the big picture and saying that we can still have a chance to have a postseason when it's all said and done. That's well said, Freddie. Well, well said. Freddie, my final question for you is, obviously, we've been home having to cook and make meals and meals and meals. What restaurant or what meal are you looking forward to the most when we're allowed back and outside, is it a steak? Is it any meal that you're just looking forward to once this whole thing breaks that you could just go out with friends, family, and enjoy? I'll tell you what, we have a place not too far from where we live called, and, and I, all the time, it's a, it's a great rib place called Chris's. And the minute that that's open again, where you can sit down a restaurant, even if it's outside, their rib plate, their macaroni and cheese is to die for. So that's definitely <laughs> one place that I can't wait to see and wait to be back up. There's another place not too far in the next town called the Pig Rig that my wife and I have never been to. We've been dying to get there. There's a theme here. 
if it involves a pig being slaughtered, <laughs> then I'm raising my hand from that standpoint. So those are two places, smoking with Chris in our town where I live at and the pig rig, because that even though we have Mission Barbecue and they're really good, but those are homegrown places, smoking with Chris and the pig rig, that we right. can't wait to sink our teeth into whenever we get that opportunity when this thing slows down and we feel comfortable eating outside. Because eating inside, my wife Denise and I are still not comfortable with that, at least not, at least not right away. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> Ready, this is my final question. It's a two-part question, okay? The first question here is, you're from Brooklyn. We know that pizza reigns supreme here in New York, the hot dog reigns supreme. What would be, like, your go-to New York food, number one? And then number two, what was you growing up, or even up to now, what's been your favorite sports memory? To answer the first part of your question, anything New York-related would be my go-to food, but I tell you what, there are two things that I miss that are my go-to New York foods. Number one, definitely pizza. I don't get a little thin slice, get some pepperoni here, some sausage there. You give me that, at that point, get out of my way and look out. But <laughs> another thing I really miss, a Jamaican beef patty from a Jamaican restaurant in New York. You give me a chicken beef patty or a chicken patty or beef patty with the spice with it as well, some pineapple soda, I am good to go. So I miss both of those things when it comes to New York food. That's my go-to food. That's number one. Number two, my favorite sports memory is the first sports memory I can ever remember, where my mom and dad took me to see Grambling versus Morgan State at the old Yankee Stadium. And for those who don't know, Grambling football, historically black college football, was massive in black communities. And especially when you had two teams, one well below the Mason-Dixon line in Grambling, Louisiana, and Morgan State in the state of Maryland, where they were fierce, fierce rivals. Everybody talks about Ohio State, Michigan, Notre Dame versus USC, Alabama versus Auburn. But for people who followed black college football, Grambling Morgan State was it. And I'll never get my mom and dad taking me to that game. I'm maybe three, three and a half years of age. And I just looked around and saw all these black people in one place watching a football game. And I said, this is fantastic. I didn't have many black people on planet Earth. But having a chance to see and hear the bands and watch the action on the field, that is something that's always been burned into my mind. And I think even at that young of an age, that's when I really became a sports fan. And sports started to really become that kind of importance in my life where I wanted to watch a game. I wanted to see a sports update. I wanted to see a sports report. But I'll never get being on the shoulders of my dad, walking in the Yankee Stadium with me on his shoulders and just seeing the two teams on the field, and Eddie Robinson on one side and the bands on the other side going back and forth. Drumline had nothing on this day involving Grambling State on one side and Morgan State on the other. But it was really cool seeing two historically black colleges and so many people dressed in the nines for a game like that. That's a memory that has always been burned in my memory, and I'll never, ever forget. Awesome. Freddie, I'm like you. My first, the first ever football game that I saw up front, Grambling and FAMU, like years, years, years ago. Grambling and FAMU. hundred. <laughs> right, exactly. So when it comes to the whole the playing of the bands, you are right. They have nothing on that film. The bands are so great. So, Freddie, man, thank you for taking some time out. We appreciate you. Before thank you go, you how do people follow you on social uh, media? On Instagram, you can hit me up at Coleman Experience, and on Twitter, you can hit me up at Coleman ESPN. I'm always available. If you keep it clean, we do something. If you keep it dirty, that mute block button is pretty strong with my right hand. <laughs> hit me on Twitter at Coleman ESPN and on Instagram at Coleman Experience. Freddie, awesome. Freddie, thank you so much and continued uh, success and stay safe, pal. Thank you so, so much, man. My pleasure, Sean. We've had a blast, my friends. Let's do it again soon.
All right, Freddie. You're always welcome back on. Thank you. All right, that was Freddie Coleman of ESPN, host of the Freddie and Fit Show, weeknights 9 to 12. Well, Freddie's one of my favorite guys, man. A great host, has a great show. Awesome, awesome job, man. Freddie is real, real good uh, people, man. Absolutely. And not only that, Freddie's one of the more genuine people you'll ever want to meet. You know, just going out there, just learning about him being a Jet fan, Met fan, you know, Knicks fan, the heartaches of being a Knicks and a, and a Jets fan, just absolutely unbelievable. But you know what? Hey, it's what makes the person. The losing may make the person into something great. So, and you got to see it. So, Freddie, absolutely wonderful job having him on. Sean, kudos to you for having him on. Thank you for that opportunity. Really appreciate that. No doubt, no doubt. Well, any final thoughts, Bo? No, no final thoughts here. Just want to wish everybody a happy and safe Memorial Day weekend. And, you know, for like I said before, for every essential worker out there, just – you know, stay safe. God bless you guys. We're going to, unfortunately, there's going to be a new normal, but, you know, we don't know when that's going to be. But until then, for every essential worker out there, God bless you guys. Cop, fireman, uh, doctor, nurse, EMT worker, grocery store worker, construction worker working on infrastructure, you know, important infrastructure. Thank you. And even the postal worker, postal worker as well. Stay safe. God bless you guys. Enjoy the weekend coming up and yeah, that's all I got. All right, well, and no final thoughts for me. Just want to thank Freddie Coleman for coming on again. So, for Freddie Coleman and for my favorite co-host, William Trucci, a.k.a. Will C., I'm your host, Shawnee, on the mic, signing out on the board sports. Be safe and happy Memorial Day weekend all. Peace.